Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be joining. Welcome to you. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and we are in episode 295 of our Bible Bites, reading through the scriptures this year. Today we finish the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, um, in chapters 15 and 16 today. So chapter 15 and 16 of Mark's Gospel. In chapter 15, we have just read about them actually in chapter 14, uh, the betrayal, Jesus going to, he had his last last Seder, Passover Seder. He went to Gethsemane, prayed, and then was arrested and, you know, um, was charged by the council of the Jewish leadership. So now we pick up the story immediately in the morning around six o'clock when the the night watches were done and it was daytime arriving the chief priests they hold this meeting and there's potentially up to about a hundred people there because uh, the, it says the whole council uh, the elders and the scribes and so and then we know later on that the chief priests were also a part of that so we're talking about probably a hundred people or so at this mock trial this meeting and so anyway they decide that they're going to bind him and give him over to Pilate they've already found him through the night in an illegal trial they found him guilty of blasphemy they say they would not accept the fact that he was God and so they were going to charge him with blasphemy which according to Torah the the law did demand for true blasphemy that a person, it was a capital crime, and they would have had to die. So the Jews at this time couldn't kill anybody, so they deliver him over to Pilate so that Pilate could kill him. And uh, so anyway, that's where we pick up this story, and we read in chapter 15 all about the death and the burial of Jesus, and then in chapter 16, his resurrection. So let's look at, it's a very familiar story to many of us, um, and I encourage you to read it over and over and over again because it is the crux of our faith, the death, burial, and especially the resurrection of our, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ is the foundation of our faith. And it is very important for us to understand that this was the very Son of God giving his life for his people. So let's look at this. Jesus is asked, are you the king of the Jews? By Pilate, the governor of the um, area at that time, the governor of Judea at that time. And Jesus says, it is as you say. In other words, God cannot lie and will not lie. And so he knew who he was and he has to attest to that. So then he goes on down and he talks with, you know, Jesus and he says, hey, they're telling you all kinds of things against you. You're not saying anything. So Pilate marvels. Then he has a custom at the feast and he's, Pilate may be thinking, oh, well, this is a good way for me to get out of this murder. Uh, because we read in other passages, you know, like we've talked about before, you have to take all four of the Gospels to get the true full picture of what's going on. And, and occasionally they appear to be contradictory. They're not. They're just coming at it from different angles and different perspectives. One person may be focusing on something that another person isn't. And so, you know, for their audience, for their purpose in writing, all of that comes into play when you look at the different gospel accounts. 
But when you pull them all together, you see the big picture. So we know that Pilate's wife has already warned him and says, don't have anything to do with this man. He's an innocent man. So Pilate is dealing with this situation. He's got a hot potato in, on his hands. And in another um, gospel, we learn that he tries to get rid of him by sending him off to Herod. And of course, that doesn't work either. Herod sends him back to Pilate. So all of that's going on. Now, Mark doesn't bring in all those details because Mark is kind of more of the short and sweet fella. He wants to concentrate on certain things for the purpose that he has in writing his account. And we also know that his account was, in essence, um, to some degree, has been dubbed as Peter's gospel, in a sense, because he and Peter were very close, and Peter provided a lot of the information for John Mark's gospel. But we find that Pilate had a tradition, and both Matthew and Mark, and I would assume Peter, since Peter was um, responsible for a good bit of the information for John Mark to write, they all attest to this fact that a prisoner would be released at Passover. So this establishes that because you have the mouth of two or more witnesses that were in the, in the scriptures in that time, saw the events, were a part of the whole um, scenario that can attest to this. And so Pilate presents to them Jesus versus Barabbas, who was a rebel. He had been imprisoned because he was considered to be a murderer in a rebellion. Another place calls him a thief also. So all of that's wrapped into who this person was. In essence, he represents all of us guilty sinners, worthy of the wages of sin, which is death. Barabbas, in a sense, is standing in our place or as a type of all guilty sinners. And he gets the surprise of his life that I would could only imagine must have changed his life forever. I don't know. We don't, we don't know much about Barabbas after this. He's never mentioned again in the scriptures, so we do not know for sure what happened to him. But what he had come to realize is that he gets released and an innocent man is condemned to die in his stead. Imagine Barabbas perhaps looking at the cross of Jesus from a distance, perhaps. We don't know if he was there or not, but it was a very public event. So there would have been many onlookers and many bystanders. We don't know who all they were. But imagine when Barabbas realizes that Jesus now is taking his place. That's part of the beauty of the gospel, beloved, for every one of us. We are like Barabbas. We were condemned to die and guilty of sin, and yet the innocent man, Jesus Christ, died in our place. We deserve to die, but we were set free only because the innocent one who did not deserve to die did in fact die in our place for the crimes that we have committed. He took upon himself our iniquities. Isaiah 53 talks about that. So they bring him before the crowd, and the crowd has been incited by these evil leaders of the Jewish people that want him dead. And so they cry for him to be crucified. 
Now, it's interesting because if you remember a couple of days ago, we looked at Mark chapter 12, where Jesus tells them a parable about a vine dresser that goes away and he gives them charge over his vineyard and he sends different people and he finally decides to send his son. Now, notice what Jesus said in that parable. He says, beginning in verse 6, Therefore, of, of Mark chapter 12, therefore still having one son, his beloved. He also sent him to them last, saying, they will respect my son. But those vine dressers said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and cast him out of the vineyard. That's exactly, Jesus was prophesying exactly what they are now doing here in Mark chapter 15. They are taking the beloved son of God, casting him out of his vineyard and killing him. And he has already foretold his own death in this way. So in verse 15, we see Pilate He's wanting to gratify the crowd. He's praiseworthy. I mean, praise hungry, not praiseworthy. Praise hungry and power hungry. And so he delivers Jesus to several horrific, torturous events. First, there is a scourging. And if you would like to know what that's like, you can. I recommend you look into a book called um, Paid in Full, or yes, called Paid in Full, and it goes into details about how torturous this scourging was. But the word of God had prophesied in Isaiah 53, 5, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6, and 1 Peter 2, 24, all testify that Jesus gave his back for our healing. And it is by his stripes that healing has been provided in the atonement so the scourging of Jesus, he knew, was necessary to open up a release of healing that could be provided for his people. And by his stripes, it is now available to us, and he can heal us. So next, they take him to the Praetorium, which was there at the Antonio Fortress. And the garrison, it says, they pulled together a garrison. This is about 600 men. And they go through this humiliating process of mocking him. And then they rip off on his scarred open wounds. They rip off the, the little robe that they've put upon him to mock him with. And then he starts to have to carry his cross. And he wearies from that because he's already been beaten, ripped open, all of his insides showing and, and bursting forth. I mean, it's been a horrific thing that he has had to go through. So when it comes time to carry his cross up Golgotha's hill, he labors and he falls under the weight of it. And so they get Simon the Serene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. He's coming to Jerusalem from the country. He's coming up to Jerusalem because the Jews had to do that. It was Passover. It was time for them to sacrifice the Passover lambs and to bring those and to celebrate the the Pesach, the Passover feast. And so he's coming up to Jerusalem. 
they, I guess, look at him. Maybe he looks strong and husky. I don't know. But they demand that he be the one to carry the cross. Now, my point in bringing that up is just this. Can you imagine when he goes over to Jesus, his, he's got his two boys with their probably their Passover lamb, perhaps, to be offered. And imagine Jesus and his blood now that was on his cross getting on to Simon's back and his neck. Imagine maybe they had a look, an embrace, or I mean not an embrace, but a look, a special look upon each other. I don't know if Simon realized that, and we don't really hear anything about him later, but we do hear a little bit about his children. And so apparently this made somewhat of an impact on this man, Simon, and his family. So they take him to Golgotha, the place of a skull. Now, I've covered this when we went through the Matthew sessions, um, but the Golgotha, there's different opinions about where this was. There's debate over whether it, it was the place that they say looked like a skull, and if you see pictures, it does. Um, but it could possibly relate to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 54, also because there was a particular skull that was brought to Jerusalem. And at that time, Jerusalem was under the control of the Jebusites. So the skull that was brought there by David could not be buried inside the city. It would have been buried outside the city. And that was the skull of Goliath. What an amazing thing to think about the fact that Jesus' cross may have been in the very spot that Goliath's head was buried and what particular powerful imagery that brings to our mind and understanding because Jesus has now conquered and is winning the victory over everything and everyone that the Goliath may have represented. It's just an interesting thought and um, it's definitely something that's very plausible or possible. So Jesus refuses the anesthesia. He's not going to remove the pain. He's going to go through this, what the Father has willed, and, and he must go through because the Bible says it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. And beloved friend, that is you and I. That's We are the joy that was set before him. So he gets crucified. The nails are driven into his hand at 9 o'clock which was the same time as the beginning of the temple service on Passover day, on, on any day of the week. And then he, ha he hangs there until he finally dies at 3 p.m., which is the very end of the temple service, um, generally speaking, when they would uh, say the, the final prayers. They would also declare over the Passover lamb for the nation on Passover day at that time. So there's a lot that can be uh, understood about that as to what's happening in the temple at the same time as what's happening at the cross on uh, Golgotha when Jesus is hanging there. They made a plate uh, placard for him. Pilate created a sign for him declaring his crime. And it was that he was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It's amazing because this was a true sign. He, he is and was the king of the Jews. But it brings us to the fact that the Bible says that the wisdom of God is unsearchable. 
it is mind-boggling to understand the wisdom of God that the king of the Jews needed to die first because he was the only one worthy to pay the price that was demanded and required by God's holy law for sinners like you and me. Wages of sin is death. Somebody had to pay that death penalty. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has paid it on our behalf, and we don't have to because we can take advantage, and you can too if you haven't yet, of the free gift of eternal life that is offered to you through faith in Jesus Christ. If you repent of your sins, call upon his name, believe in him and his atoning work on your behalf, you too will be saved and be able to receive that free gift of eternal life with your name being written in the Lamb's Book of Life forever, a child of God. Hallelujah. And that brings me to the next point I wanted to bring out. There's two thieves that are that are crucified with him. And they each had two different responses to Jesus. Therefore, they each faced two different eternal ends. And it's all based on their declaration and their belief in who Jesus is. If you'll remember, a few um, days ago, we talked about Jesus going up on the mountain. He was headed to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's asking his disciples, who do people say I am? And then he makes it direct, and he says, who do you say I am? And so, friend, today, I want to ask you, who do you say he is? Because your answer to that question and my answer to that question determines our eternal destiny. We find out in the other Gospels what this conversation was like. And the one thief mocked him and didn't believe in him, but the other thief did. And he asked him, he repented, right there on the cross. That is another element that proves to us that Jesus and the salvation is totally, totally an act of grace from God. By grace, we are saved through faith. That was true for that thief on the cross, and it's still true for every person today. By grace, we are saved through faith. There was not anything, not one work that that thief on the cross could ever do to buy his salvation. And yet Jesus said, oh yes, you're saved. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. You're coming with me to my kingdom this very day. Beloved, that proves the beauty of grace, the grace of the gospel that Jesus has wrought for us and brought to bear for us. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. So he dies. The temple veil is torn in two from top to bottom, which is a miraculous event that only God could do. Jesus is then buried by Joseph of Ramah, and in other Gospels we learn Nicodemus accompanied him and helped him. And so then we get to chapter 16. Jesus is risen from the dead. 
the women, there are certain women that are told, you know, to, to find the whole of the story here, you have to pull all of the Gospels together again, because different ones carry different parts of this. But the women are told Mary Magdala particularly sees the Lord. John tells us about that. And they are sent, she is sent with the message to tell the disciples he is risen and he's going before them into Galilee, which is exactly what he prophesied himself to them before he was ever taken. And he singled out, Mark makes sure that we, we understand that Peter was singled out. Now, I believe Peter needed that because Peter was the one that denied the Lord three times. And they had all wept over this weekend. See, he had said that all of you are going to be made to stumble because this is not going to turn out the way you're expecting it to turn out. And because of that, you're not going to be able to understand it until after I'm risen from the dead. That's, in essence, what Jesus was telling them. And so Peter, I'm sure, was dumbfounded. I'm sure he was like, there's no way. He might want to see the rest of you guys, all of you other ten, but he ain't going to want to see me. I denied him, remember? I'm the one that let him down. He's never going to want me again. So I believe the Holy Spirit directed Mark, and I believe that Peter, being part of Mark's um, Mark's interpretation or the one that gave Mark a lot of the details, Peter would never, ever, ever forget that he was singled out by the Lord because after what he did, he needed that. He needed to know that Jesus still wanted him. And that's a good thing, too, that helps us understand that even when we've messed up royally, Jesus can still forgive us, bring us to restoration, which is exactly what he did. And we read about it in John chapter 21. We will get there. But that's what he has done for Peter. Praise be to God. So the different ones see him, and there's visitations and all of that. Mark goes through that very quickly here, just briefly mentions it. Other details are given in other Gospels. But then we have what we all call and know about to be the Great Commission. And I want to end with this in verse 15 through 18. Mark writes, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is part of that great commission. There's other passages that give us other details about it as well, but these are Jesus' words as he is leaving this earth right before he will be ascending. And so it says, So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because he was, the, the work was finished. He did everything necessary to buy our salvation, to buy for us eternal redemption. All that's necessary now is one work that we have to do, and that is simple faith in him, to believe in him. And we're going to see that when we get to John chapter 5 and 6. But then it says in verse 20, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word 
through the accompanying signs. Amen. So, friend, remember, we don't need to be chasing the signs. Jesus said the signs are to follow us, and the purpose of supernatural signs and wonders is to confirm the word. The problem, the only problem we need to be aware of today is this, that in the last days, the devil does have the ability to deceive with certain signs and wonders. So that's one of the reasons we'll see later in the scriptures. John the Apostle tells us, test every spirit. We've got to be careful not to be deceived in these last days. But the miraculous signs from God are sent by God to confirm the word so that the word and the gospel spreads and more and more people are made disciples of Jesus Christ. That is the crux of our heart's desire and our passion. And we are trying to reach all of you with that same love and with that same passion. So I pray this has been a blessing to you. Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Bible Bites. God bless you today.